So I'm really excited to, uh, to open up and unpack the life of Joseph with you. As his life, it fills up most of the narrative in Genesis. So if you've read it, it fills up most of the narrative in Genesis. But I will tell you, it's going to be impossible to hit you know, everything today. But I want to focus on just a couple of attributes with you, a couple of turning points in the story, in his life, that, that God may use to speak to your life and about where you're at. So before we go there and look, open up the book of um, Genesis and look at the life of Joseph, why don't you guys join me in prayer? Father, we just, we just acknowledge that you are here. God, that you are here and you desire to do good to us this morning. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to hear a, a, a word, a word of truth, a, something that's going to ground us, Lord, that your word would continue that transformation process for those who know you. God, would you draw those who have yet to come and rest in your presence, trusting in Christ alone, Lord, would you draw them today? Draw them to worship, to, to harness their life to you. God, because you, you give ev everything good that we experience comes out of your hand, Lord. Thank you that you came to reconnect us with the Father. So, Lord, let us hear a word from you, a word of encouragement, a word that, that draws us to your throne today. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you're not familiar with the, um, with the person of Joseph, the story of Joseph, his story is laid out in Genesis 37 through 50. That's a lot of chapters. But let me go ahead and just share briefly with you. Joseph is a 17-year-old shepherd in his family when we first meet him. It's important to note that Joseph is the son of Jacob, who we spoke about last week, and the son of Rachel. Joseph was the oldest son of Rachel, not the oldest son. That was Reuben, who was born of Leah. And Jacob loved Joseph, favored Joseph. He, he hadn't, so Joseph hadn't learned um, his lesson yet. Jacob hadn't learned his lesson yet. So Joseph, right, is the favorite oldest son of the favorite wife. You follow that? So let me ask you, how do you think this is going to work out in the family? Yeah, not so good. At 17, Joseph, um, I don't know if it was his job or not. I don't know if it's, this was his responsibility, but 17 years old, he goes out to the field, and he basically brings a bad report to Pops concerning his brothers. This act, going and kind of tattletelling on, on his uh, half-siblings, combined with Jacob, the father's clear favoritism of Joseph, it causes his older half-brothers to resent him to the point of hatred. And then... Daddy goes and buys him a brand new sports car. Well, not really, right? Okay, so he gives him, I'm just imagining this, what it's like. He gives him this coat of many colors. How many of you have been like, boy, I can't wait to get a coat of many colors, right? It's a, it's a technicolor dream coat for those who are paying attention, right? Well, after this, his siblings hate him even more. To make it worse, Joseph begins to tell his family of these dreams, these prophetic visions. In them, he says, one day, my dudes, you guys are going to bow down to me. You're going to bow down to me. And so, man, the brother's hatred, it grows all the more, and it's understandable, but they plot to kill him. Like, this is what we're going to do with this guy. We're going to kill him. But Reuben, who's the oldest son of Leah, he speaks up, and he says, brothers, don't do it. Let's sell him and get the money. 
and then take his coat and then let's kill one of our animals here and dip the coat in blood and then, and then we'll show it to Jacob saying, oh, a lion has taken your son, right? We've come full circle. The con man Jacob is now being conned by his sons. So Joseph, instead of being murdered, he's sold to a caravan that's headed down to Egypt where he's bought by a high-ranking Egyptian named Potiphar. And he eventually becomes uh, the supervisor of Potiphar's household. In, in Genesis 39, we see that Joseph was faithful with very little, excelling in his service to God through Potiphar, and then he was entrusted with more duties. The scriptures tell us in Genesis 39 too that the Lord was with Joseph and, and gave him success in everything that he did. And in 39.5, Potiphar put him in charge of the entire household, and the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. However, in the story, Potiphar's wife attempts to seduce Joseph and bring him to bed, and he refuses and refuses, and then she falsely accuses him of attempted rape, and Joseph, although he's innocent, is cast into prison. While in jail, we read that the Lord is still with Joseph, and he's prospering in jail, and he gains the favor of the prison guards and is eventually put in charge of the other prisoners. Sometime later, we don't know how much time Joseph, he interprets the dreams of two fellow prisoners, uh, two men who used to work for the king, the cupbearer and the baker. And both interpretations that he gives them, it proves to be true. And one of the men is, is both of the men are, are later released from jail. One of them is restored to his position, the king's cupbearer, while the baker, he's released, and in the king's presence, he's hung, just like Joseph had said. Joseph asked the cupbearer, you know, to remember me, remember me when you go back to the king, remember me, but, but he's forgotten. Two years later, he's still in jail. He's still in prison. The king himself has these troubling dreams, these troubling visions. And the cupbearer only then, two years later, remembers, oh, wait a second, there's this guy in prison. He might be able to interpret the dreams. The king calls on Joseph and asks whether or not, can you really interpret dreams? Can you really do it? And, 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 and Joseph, he says, not, not me, but, 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 but the Lord can do it. Years later, I mean, he's been waiting, right? Do you get it? He's been wanting to get out of prison. There's no help for him. And we read that Joseph is still humbly connected to the Lord. Can you interpret the dream? Joseph had every opportunity to go, yes, I can do it. I know I can do it. But he says he can't do it, but God can. After hearing the dream, Joseph predicts seven years so seven years of just bountiful harvest in Egypt, followed by seven years of famine. And he advises the king, listen, during those bountiful years, why don't you pull back, keep some of it, store it in preparation for a great famine that's coming. And because of Joseph's wisdom, he's made a ruler in Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. The story takes an interesting twist. When the famine strikes... The land of Canaan is also affected. This is the land of his mother and his father and his brothers. And Jacob, Jacob sends, while in the land of Canaan, sends 10 of his sons to go buy grain. Why did Egypt have grain? Right, Joseph. And while in Egypt, the brothers come face to face with their long forgotten brother, whom they do not recognize. Joseph's brothers, because of his high position, bowed down to him fulfilling the prophecy that he spoke so many years ago. 
And while in their presence, Joseph asks about his father and his brother, and he discovers that they live. He leaves the room, and he weeps. Joseph then demands that they bring the youngest back to him, and, that, and they can return, but in... in um, but he keeps Simeon. He says, to guarantee that you're going to return with my younger brother, they keep Simeon, and, and he's bound, and he's left behind. The brothers are sent back, and they discuss what happened with Jacob, their, their, their father, who finally relents. He doesn't want to send Benjamin, but he does. He sends Benjamin back to Egypt to buy more grain. And at a dinner prepared for them, he confirms with the others that the man before him, Joseph, says, this truly is my brother Benjamin, and overwhelmed he leaves again to break down in tears. In one of the bigger, oh crud, moments in the Bible, <laughs> Joseph reveals his true identity to his brothers. Oh crud. <laughs> These dudes have it coming. But when he reveals who he is, he forgives them. He forgives their wrongdoing. In one, one of the most poignant verses, I think, in all of Scripture, Joseph reassures his brothers of his forgiveness in Genesis 50. He says this, but Joseph said to them, do not fear, for I, am I in the place of God? I, I'm, I don't judge. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. If any one of us thinks he has kind of a right to a grudge in your life, Joseph has 10 times as much, right? Fake death, sold into slavery, falsely accused, years in jail, but he spoke kindly to them. Let's finish this story. The brothers go home and they grab Jacob and his family and they all moved to Egypt to be with Joseph. And here's the epilogue. Matt shared about it this morning. Jacob's descendants are in Egypt for 400 years until the time of Moses. And when Moses leads the Hebrews out of Egypt, Egypt, he takes the remains of Joseph with him, just as Joseph had requested. Ooh, so that's the nutshell. All right. Here's some application. What do we learn about the life of Joseph? Here's a few life lessons that we learn when we look at how Joseph handled his life. Here's number one. Doing the right thing is right regardless of the outcome. Doing the right thing is right regardless of the outcome. If I put it another way, here's how it would be. Doing the right thing in God's eyes doesn't guarantee physical blessings. It will not guarantee physical blessings for you. So where are we confronted with this, right? Joseph had so many opportunities to give in. He did the right thing when he resisted Potiphar's wife. So here's a woman seducing him, and he turns away her advances one by one, one by one, until he's libeled, he's slandered. His goodness, his, the right thing that he did, it wasn't rewarded. Instead, he does, he does everything right and then is thrown into jail. And he sits in jail for a long time. He was imprisoned for doing the right thing. The right thing did not lead to the best outcome. But I think a lot of us, we assume or we hope or we presume in a relationship with God that if I follow God, God, if I give you my life, that if I do all of these things, well, I'm going to get the right outcome like in my circumstances. That's the least that you can do for me for following you. 
reflect, reflect with me for a moment. Who in Scripture, besides Joseph, did not do just a couple of things right, but did everything right? And the Sunday school answer is yes. <laughs> He's perfect. He was never selfish. He judged correctly all the time. Of all the people who ever lived, He's not the one who should have suffered and be, been crucified. Crucifixion is the most excruciating form of death that we humans have ever devised. The word excruciating comes from the Latin, out of the cross. It's the pain that you would have experienced from the cross. Doing the right thing is right. Why? Why? Because we serve a God who is always good. We serve a God who is always in control. Peter gives a really interesting motivation here. He says in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, look at it with me. He says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, if you want, underline that, circle that, draw attention to that. When mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is gracious, a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. You might be thinking, reading that, well, thanks, God. <laughs> thanks. Listen, life is not fair. Life is unjust, but God is always just. Do you, do you see the connection, what Peter's saying? He says, listen, if you sin against God and you are punished for it, you're getting what you deserve. But if you are punished for doing what is right and you persevere, you haven't done wrong, someone else has. And if you're going to suffer, listen, if you're going to suffer either way for doing evil or for doing good, suffer for doing good. Why? Because all the right choices, all the godly choices you make, listen, listen, all, everything that you do that's lived before the Father, it will not go unrewarded at the time of Jesus. You have to know that, all of it. God is responsible for all the good that happens in your life. He's responsible for all of it. So let me ask you a question. In light of this, where are you tempted to take shortcuts in your life? Where do you feel the temptation to take a shortcut in doing the right thing? Or where are you taking shortcuts? Listen, your friends, your classmates, some of them, they aren't going to play fair. But what about you? That's the question, right? What, what, about, what about me? What about you? Will you do the right thing? Will you make the right decisions? Because you can't take shortcuts. You, you understand now that, that your life, all of it, is lived in full view of God. He sees everything. But it's not a fear like you, you go, oh, i got to get in line. Boy, I better get in line. But it's out of thankfulness. It's out of love. It's out of trust. You do the right thing because you don't want to do the wrong thing. You, you don't want that anymore. 
You see, God was working in Joseph's life. He was doing something spectacular. And in your life, he's always going to be working in such a way that when you choose to trust Christ, when you choose to follow Jesus, what God does is he begins doing this transformational work in your heart, in your life, in the core of your inner person and who you are. He's always working in your character. C.S. Lewis said it this way about us. He says, we are a divine work of art, something that God is making, something with which he will not be satisfied until it has a certain character. And one thing stands out in the story of Joseph. How, how was this guy able to do the right thing and trust God in that character, Right? Joseph is a man of character. How is he able, in those circumstances, how is he able to, to do it? He had character. So let's step away and ask a general question. How does that divine work, how does that divine work of art that God is creating in you, molding you, how does it happen? Let me give you two things that will help you understand how character growth happens in your life. First, character growth is going to be shaped by sacrifice. What is sacrifice? Well, sacrifice is the act of giving up something of value in order to obtain something of greater value. Joseph sacrificed his fleshly desires when he was tempted by Potiphar's wife in order to have a clear conscience, perhaps, a good name. You see, there is something better. There is something more that motivated him. And in the world, listen, the, in the world that you guys live in, you and I, yeah, it will never require you to be truly sacrificial. The world teaches you greed and consumption. The, the, the system of the world, it will never help you to, to be sacrificial. You won't learn it out there. The character is doing the right thing. Whatever the cost is learned through sacrifice. What, it's doing the right thing. Whatever the cost, it's going to be learned through sacrifice. Here's another thing. You want to grow in character? You got to learn it through service. The trip that he took from Canaan to Egypt did something to this young man, I believe. And in every place he found himself, he took on the heart and the attitude and the action of a servant. While in jail, he served and served and served, and he became king of the crooks, so to speak. Right? You read it, and you read it, and it sounds hilarious. It's almost like Joseph has the responsibility of a jailer, yet he's a prisoner. He was put in charge of all the prisoners. Listen, Christ's followers are called to be more than just honest people. We're called to be servants. And character formation in your life, when it happens, it will happen more and more as you think about sacrifices, you think about service. But there has to be something behind all of this, being able to do the right thing because it is the right thing. There has to be something, that, something behind it. And I want to share with you one habit and one motivation. One habit and one motivation. Learn this phrase. If you want a habit, okay, learn this phrase in your life. Learn it. Repeat it. Swim in this phrase. Put this phrase on whatever, you know, just whatever I'm saying means to you. Just live in this, right? What can I do to serve you? Let that just kind of flow this week from your lips. What can I do to serve you? What if every day somebody asked, like dozens of people asked you that? Hey, what can I do to, to serve you? When you go home, right, with mom and dad, some, some of you, the next time you see mom and dad, ask them, hey, mom, what can I do to serve you? 
some of your moms would be going, hold on. Why serve? Why serve? What's the motivation? This is, the, this is in the phrase, it's caught up in the phrase, mindful of God. The thing that makes, listen, the thing that makes the, the difference for Christian character development in the everyday, the every moment awareness, it's the everyday, every moment awareness that you are answering to God foremost. Can people who don't, so listen, can people who don't know Christ, who don't follow Jesus, they don't follow God, they could care less about who God is. Can anybody have what might be considered good character? Absolutely. There are businesswomen out there that are atheists, but they have high integrity. If God is not their singular motivation, then what is? Perhaps they want to keep their job. Perhaps they know, man, if they keep good books and they keep good records and they conduct themselves well, their business will grow. I, I'm not saying that this is every business person's motivation, but greed can be an underlying motivation for character growth. Do you understand that? The big difference maker in your life, the key difference between the Christ follower's pursuit of growth and anyone else's pursuit of growth will be the why. What motivates you? You know, many of us here this morning, we're in different places in our journey with Christ or to Him. And if you want a place to start in your life, in your journey, you know, with Jesus, if you want a place to start, start here. Live for God foremost. You will have to answer to him one day, not to me. <laughs> Thank God. I'm not going to judge you. Oh, I will never judge perfectly. But if you claim Christ, he's always inviting, listen, he is always inviting you to a feast. He's saying, listen, I, I don't want to keep anything from you. You, you. When you know Jesus, my son, come and be with me. Be with me. The presence of God in the most trying of circumstances is sometimes all that we have. And so many Christ followers, they don't have this abundant life because they live as slaves to sin, not as slaves to Jesus who frees them from an old selfish life. Listen. Okay, look. Don't trade the smile of your heavenly father, the pleasure of your heavenly father for him, for her, for lots of Bud Light. Oh my gosh, when you compare the two, there should be no contest. You will, you will not be disappointed when mindful of God, you choose to do the right thing. Why? Because you'll reap a harvest of righteousness in your life. You'll reap a harvest of righteousness in your life. Listen, early on in my life, and I have... Lots of stories I don't have time to tell in work situations before I went on staff and became a pastor in my friendships. Listen, I, the only thing I could count on was the knowledge that the right decisions I was making, even though I knew they wouldn't put me ahead, all of those decisions would not go unrewarded on the day of Jesus. That was my only hope. Has God, so you're here this morning, right? Has God convinced you of his love for you and you've received that? 
you are wor actively working and allowing him to do this divine work of character development in your life? Is there faith reasonable, this reasonable belief that, listen, listen, you are not missing out on anything? Do you really believe that? What God has to offer and what the, you're not going to miss out on anything when you follow God? Listen, but because why? Here's the thing. Here's the thing that we see from Joseph's life. God will make all things work together for good. That's true. Even though things don't go the way they should, God always turns it for good. You can know that. See, the life of Joseph, it helps us get in, in, into the, in to see the long game. Right? Because God will not cheat you if you know him. Even if you don't know him, he will not cheat you. He will always treat you with justice. He will never treat you unjustly. So, you know, we, we go through life and the hard questions are, God, God, why do real horrible things happen in our lives? Why do those things, why do those horrible things happen in our lives? Sin, whether it be our own, others, sin against us. Listen, Joseph didn't deserve what he endured, but God used it. He turned it. But so many of us, we give up on this process. We just can't endure it. And so we quit on what God is doing in us because we don't trust in his character that he's going to be a good God, that he longs to do good for us. In the long game, God is in control of everything that happens. That's what it means to be sovereign. Do you trust, are you in a place where you trust God in, the mo in this moment in your life for a career, for a spouse, for a job, for your summer, for whatever it is that, that you, what have you been thinking about the most lately? Have you brought that to the Lord? Do you trust that he's a good father to you? Do you really, really trust him? Let me offer you an example. I just want to try to make this concrete for you. This may be a hard example, but, it, but it's true. In, it's true in what I'm saying. This might be someone here. What if, what if you get married and you try and you try and you try and you try to have kids? You love Jesus. And you're like, God, why... Lord, you know I just, I want to be a mommy. <laughs> but you can't. I mean, can you imagine that pain? And the one thing you've known you've wanted for a long time is to feel this little human kind of moving and kicking inside of you and turning and, you know, when you lay down, they get active, right? <laughs> they punch you and, uh, and make you throw up all the time, Right? That's the one thing you've wanted. It's a baby, right? A child. And you sit in every moment. It's not happening. Sometimes couples don't pause long enough to say, God, what are you doing here in my life? In this circumstances, I know that you're good, but I don't understand it. And they'll do everything to try to have kids without considering the ethical ramifications of in vitro, without considering the ethical ramifications of donors, Okay. They do everything, but what if? What if a couple paused together and said, God, I trust you, we trust you, and we're not sure why I'm suffering, but I believe that you're doing something good in me. Joseph's in jail. 
And 10 years later, you meet dozens upon dozens of couples who have also had the same trauma of infertility issues. And you see finally that God wants to use your experience, your hope, your suffering to bring hope and comfort because they needed it. Will that make the pain go away? No. <laughs> Will you sense the intimate love and tender mercies of God as he uses you to love people? You bet. You bet. And here's Joseph. He endured this great suffering. False accusations was completely forgotten, but the Lord was with him. Is God with you? Is he? Do you, do you feel it? The end of the story, the resolution of the story of Joseph sums up like this. Releasing his brothers from the shame they feel. He says, listen to his perspective. What you intended for evil, God always intended for good. Brothers, <laughs> I could see him saying this. You played right into God's hands. He's in control. He knew of the famine. He knew that you would need help. I endured all of this because the Lord, my God, our God, is a covenant, with, a covenant God. He, he used me to save all y'all. It was all worth it. The motivation for doing the right thing is a desire to please and be used by God first and foremost. The right thing is always right. Godly character like Joseph had will be built in your life through sacrifice and service, through a deep motivation and a trust in God's goodness. We learn and, we, and God wants us to see that doing the right thing is always right regardless of the outcome that we face. Even though things don't go the way they should, God will always, always turn it for good in our life. All right, there's one more truth from Joseph's life I want to leave you with. One more life lesson here for me that just sticks out. Obedience to God's commands, it brings lasting blessings. This may feel like really similar to the first point, but there's something I want to share with you in this. It's just packaged a, a little differently. Obedience to God's commands will bring lasting blessings. Let's, ima let's imagine, okay, for a moment, that Joseph being sold into slavery, taken to a foreign land, it's a stretch, but go here with me, all right? Let's say it's a little bit like college, just, just a little bit, right? He's 17. Some of you, you started when you were 18. He's away from his parents. There's no one there to tell him what to do, how to live. He's on his own. He's got to figure it out. Are you there with me? Okay. I, like going to college. Obviously, jail is not college. I, I hope you guys know that, right? Um, but, but get here. He can do and live however he wants, right? He can, he can do anything he wants. There's, no, there's nobody there to watch him, and he chooses to live in obedience to God. And where does that land him, right? In jail. But here's the nugget that I want you to see for your life. The way that you and I are going to learn obedience is not, we, listen, we will not learn how to follow God when things are just going super. 
That's why James says, consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you endure trials of many kinds. In pure joy. How many of you this week, this month, have had a trial? Okay. How many of you have gone, yes, bring it on? <laughs> yeah, right. I know, right? There's nothing in a, like a trial in your life to teach you about trust, about faith, about what you really believe, who, who you are. While pushing carts at Sam's Club with my degree from the University of Illinois, oh man, I have lots of stories, um, uh, but um, I, I'm going to keep it kind of short. Okay, um, I read this passage. I had lots of time with me with some shopping carts, and I just would read scripture and memorize scriptures. It's Hebrews 12, memorize the whole chapter that year, just going through it. I needed my humble, humble circumstance in order for God to use it. Hebrews 5, 8. Look, although he, who's the he? Jesus was a son. Although Jesus was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. He wasn't a slave. He was a, he was a son. I'm a son. You're a daughter. I want to obey. How, God, let me ask, God, how am I going to learn to obey? <laughs> I was hoping that I could learn to follow God, you know, with a better job. Or God, give me a better job, you know, then, then I'll really, you know, learn how to. So how do you think that you and I, we can learn to live obedient in God's kingdom? How, how, how do you think we're going to learn it, with hardship or without it? I remember just rolling this over again and again in my, I mean, I'm just getting stuck with it going, oh my gosh, it was so comforting because all I wanted was to change my circumstance. But if Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered, why do I think I'm going to learn it a different way? Oh gosh, God, you're teaching me obedience. Can I, can I just say it plainly here? Living the way that God wants you to live is hard. Jeez, it's hard. But in life, there's a law of the universe that God put in effect. You reap what you sow. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap destruction. But, but, if you sow to the Spirit, oh my word. If you sow to the Spirit, you might reap eternal life. No, you will reap eternal life. Joseph had every reason to, to not trust God, to turn away from him. He could have, listen, Joseph could have written the book on excuses for why he didn't need to obey God. But listen, there's no excuse that's good enough to break God's commands. None. And what Joseph was doing, he was demonstrating that, God, this sucks, but I trust you. You are really important to me. I can't abandon you because you won't abandon me. And if God, if God, is, if God is really important to you, you will have every reason to follow him. Hey, if he's really important to you, you're going you're to have every reason to follow him. Listen, obedience is proof of your faith. 
Obedience is proof of your, your faith. Disobedience is proof of disbelief. Disobedience is, shows you don't believe in it. There's one way to live, and you know what that will bring. Right? You, you know what that will bring. You know that path. Right? God's calling you to go down that path. We often go down this path. The one that we are is so familiar, we know it, we understand it, we know where it's going to lead. We know the twists and the turns. We know where this is not going to bring blessing, but the path that God invites us down is one where we just, you take one step in front of the other. Man, this path is the path of least resistance. This path is really hard. It's really hard. Jesus said it this way many times and in different ways. He said this, if you love me, if you love me, if that describes you, right? So the Lord, may the Lord speak in you, do you love me? And keep my commands. Obey my commands. This morning, if there's real love for God in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of everything you're going through, in the midst of maybe heartache, God is inviting you to a king's table that's prepared for you. It's a buffet. He's not left anything out. There's just blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God is with me. He prepares a table in the presence of my enemies. God is inviting you to come and feast on him and knowledge of him and trust in him. Why? Because we might, we don't see it, but there's always rewards. Have you experienced that love and that, that the love of God as a gift and his mercy as your gift, as a gift from him in your life? And growth in my life, growth in your life, maturity, it, it happens as you live in the day in, day out, day to day. There's no other way. And here's the good thing. Here, here's the marvelous thing for you guys. Here's what you need to know. God is faithful. God is faithful. God is enough. God does not, will not, won't ever forsake his children. For the Christ follower here this morning, he will never leave you. Even in the midst of Joseph's deepest despair, his deepest suffering, the Lord was with Joseph. You know, the story of Christianity is, is like that story of Joseph. The story that, you know, J Joseph was sold into slavery. He was, a, he was a slave to sin. Right? We are slaves to sin. We, 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 we are enslaved, and, 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 and we don't work. Like Joseph had so many things he could have lived for, but he just had to just do what he was told to do. And we, in our sin, we don't, we don't work the way that we were designed. We were designed to be in relationship with the living God, receiving all good things for, from him. You see, what God did is that... that, that he, he knows that sin disconnects us from, uh, from the greatest thing that we need, which is, which is God. And you know, and I've said this before, I'll say it again, you know, grace and mercy and forgiveness and repentance and all these things are not things in of themselves. You need all of these things. Why? Because in the gospel, in what God wants to give you is not just forgiveness, he wants to give you himself. God is what you get when you come and you yield to him. And so, like Joseph, who's sent on by God a mission to be able to save many people, God the Father sends Jesus. Why? Because in his suffering is going to produce <laughs> the saving of many, many lives. 
and we are like Jacob's, you know, children like Jacob. We, need, we are in a desperate famine in our lives. We are fooled if we, if we think otherwise. There's two types of tables you can eat from. God is coming to eat from this bountiful harvest that will heal you and help you. And we tend to go to this place over here, which we know will not bring life. But God sent Jesus ahead of us, so to speak. Why? Because for the saving of many lives so that in him we can find rest and assurance and freedom in our lives. He was beaten, he was ridiculed, he was mocked. He lived the life that we were designed to live and he died the death that we should have died. Why? So that we could trust in him to be good to us. It was the saving of many lives. Would you guys stand with me as I close in prayer? Lord, I um, just come, God, we just ask that you would fill this space, Lord, in this time of, of worship, worship with you, God, convince us one of your goodness. That thing that we're going through, Lord, help us to see the long game. What are you doing? Lord, we know that all, all of your, the intentions of your heart is to bless us, and you give mercy upon mercy, and every day is a day of mercy. So Lord, we know that who have trusted in you. If there's anybody here who doesn't know you, may they be drawn to you this morning. May they see that you are the Joseph who went before them. Why? So that they wouldn't starve. God, thank you for your covenant love that you give us. Lord, we worship you and praise you today. And Lord, my unending prayer is that everyone who is standing here, Lord, would you count them among the righteous? Would they be present when you come to judge the living and the dead? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.